Right, this morning, if you look over there, you'll see the whole bunch of tables with papers and pens on them. And this morning is sometimes called signing up morning. Uh, it's about becoming involved in the church. And so this morning, I want to share with you in a simple narrative way almost about service in the church. And I always look for the precedent of how the church in Jerusalem developed because that's the, the blueprint that we have. It's, it's not necessarily a set of rules, but it gives us precedents and, and, and things to look at. And if we look at how the church in Jerusalem developed after Jesus returned to heaven, we find that the first thing that, that you need um, to get a church going is you need people called and, and, and anointed and equipped by God to establish and lead a church. And that had happened in the three years prior to Jesus going back to heaven to be with his father because he'd had these group of men around him that he called apostles, people that he had not just trained up in understanding the word as it was available at that time, but who he trained in service, who he trained in trusting God. They'd seen the power of God operating. They'd experienced having the power of God operate through them. They'd learned to sacrifice their own preferences for the service of their ministry. They'd seen how Jesus went about things. And so they become the people on whom it falls to establish the first fellowship of believers. And he and nowadays churches start in many different ways. But my belief is they start, first of all, with God equipping people to be there to start them and placing that service in their hearts and that anointing on their lives. And that becomes very evident in the second chapter of Acts when Pentecost comes and the power of God falls on these people and they go out into the streets and Peter preaches his sermon and 3,000 people come to the kingdom. It says... With many words he warned them in Acts chapter 2 verse 40, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Um, church growth is an amazing thing. Um, and every, every person who leads a church and every group of people who leave a church longs for church growth. I imagine these guys freaked out at the church growth that they had on the first day because they went from having to take care of themselves and probably 120 people to have 3,000 people that had come from not having that experience of Jesus to be nurtured and shepherded and pastored. And it must have been scary hard. But they were full of joy. And the church is described in the beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The power of God is very evident in this new church. All believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And this promotes more church growth. I've spoken about this before. The, the, the very joy of the church drew people in. And they've started. They've made a good start. What are they doing? What's the early focus? Teaching and fellowship. There's a great need for the apostles and those who have this knowledge that Jesus has imparted, who have this understanding, who have, have been in his wisdom. You know, I, I don't know how to, to, to almost put that into words, but there's one thing about listening to someone teach you clever things, and it's another thing to walk in the anointing of his wisdom and, and see how he deals with situations and, and tricky situations and with people and sees through the outside to the inside. And they'd had this experience, and there need to be those people in the church who begin to impart both teaching and understanding of Christ. 
And that was a focus for them. They've got these 3,000 people who up until this time had only heard of Jesus as this wandering Nazarene that, that did these weird things and, and then got killed. And now they've been convicted of Christ as Savior. And they've come into the church and they need to be taught. They need to learn. And so the apostles are there teaching them. And at the same time, there's fellowship. They're sharing that love in the same way that they learn from being around Jesus. So they are making themselves available to these people to be around them and to learn of the lifestyle and the love and the essence of being a follower of Christ. There was meeting of needs. It was done in um, a pretty simple, straightforward way by people giving of what they had. But there was also a meeting of need in fellowship. Um, we all come here for various reasons, I guess, but we come to worship God. We come to honor Him, but we come also for, to, we have a need of fellowshipping with God's people. And people had physical needs and they were given places to stay in homes, but they also had the need of fellowship and being nurtured. And that was taking place in the church. And it required that those who had been around for a while, because you know, the apostles were the 12, but there were about 120 that had been with Jesus for a long time. And they began to play a role of nurturing these people. And, you know, they don't call them home groups, but they were meeting in each other's houses. And I'm guessing that it's probably likely that they were meeting in the houses of those who knew Jesus and were able to host and, and, and bring things about. So people began to get involved. And there was a caring for physical needs, um, for healing. There's signs and wonders from, from the apostles. It just jumped into my mind this morning when I was reading through this passage. Um, I was involved in, in, in continuing mission to India some many years ago. Uh, well, seems like a long time ago now. Um, and I traveled quite often into Chennai and, and Tamil Nadu, uh, Pondicherry and Kudalu and those areas. And after the first trip we actually made, the, the great tsunami hit that caused so much destruction. And the fishing villages along that stretch of coast were, were severely damaged. Some of them destroyed and many, many people were displaced. And along that coastal area uh, were fishing communities that were quite hostile towards Christianity. It was very difficult to evangelize, but with the need for people to come and help physically, Christians began to get in. And I was fortunate to go a while later when, when the, the, the various um, help ministries were going in, uh, and we had raised some money and put it into the area, and we went to go and see how it was being used. And one of the things they did was take me to an area where a number of these fishing villages were being evangelized by a guy who'd been a fisherman himself, who'd become a Christian and then been chucked out of the community. And I asked him how he planted churches. I couldn't speak to him. I don't speak Tamil, but through an interpreter, he said to me in a very matter-of-fact way, well, I go into a community and I find some sick people and I pray for them and God heals them. And then I tell them to go and find their sick friends and they come and I pray for them and God heals them. And then we have a church. And he, he was not bragging and he was not joking. He had an anticipation, and it's interesting to me that one of the foundations of this growing church was God operating through His people in His power. And this church begins to grow, and once something begins to grow and flourish, it attracts a lot of attention, and we know that the church was very popular initially in Israel, sorry, in, in, in Jerusalem, and, and that all sorts of good and happy things were happening, but then the persecution starts, and when churches begin to grow, is a reality that there will be a counteraction. We need to be perfectly sensible about the fact that we have an enemy. We talk about our Heavenly Father and His great power and His great love, and He is the focus of our lives. 
But he has a great enemy who absolutely hates it when people come into the kingdom of God. And therefore, when something is going well, you need to get your shield of faith up and your helmet of salvation or your helmet of the gospel. I get that confused sometimes, especially when I haven't repaired it. But you need to get the armor on and you need to get ready to stand. And these guys got an attack quite soon when things began to flourish. And those attacks can be external. In Acts 5.27, the apostles were brought and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to preach and teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Go for it. They've been, they've been preaching all over the place. And it says, they called the apostles in and they had them flogged and commanded them not to speak. There was external pressure. That begins to happen. But also, as a church begins to grow, things begin to happen internally and needs begin to arise. It says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, a couple of things become evident here. This is a big church now. It's got thousands of people. There are different cultures being represented. But there's already evidence of an organized administration to hand out food to the widows and, and those who need it. But it, from what it's saying here, it, it looks a little bit hit and miss. It's not being done particularly well because people are being missed out and it's bringing dissension in the church. And people are becoming angry and they're saying, are the Hebraic Jews better than the, uh, uh, which ones were the Hellenistic Jews or the Hellenistic Jews better than the Hebraic Jews? And there's a place for conflict. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it's not right for us to uh, neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now that's not being arrogant. What the apostles are saying is, we have something that we can do that we have been trained to do that the church needs very, very much. We need to bring the spiritual leadership. We need to hear from God and speak the word and teach and bring what he invested into our lives over the years that we were with him into this church. It's not really appropriate that we stop doing that to handle these very important tasks. Because if we are doing that, then we can't be doing that which we are particularly called to do. It's not arrogance, it's practical. It's a need for both of those areas to be serviced. And what they're saying is, we can do this, we can probably do this as well, but somebody else can do this and release us to do what we do best. And so they go to the people. And they said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. They don't say, go and choose some talented people who aren't so good with the Word and aren't so good in spiritual things and let them wait the tables. They say, go and look for godly people, people who are spiritual, people who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry. And the proposal pleased the whole group. This is the first time that we hear of other office bearers being appointed in the church. And it's a practical need. And I want to point out something very, very important. It is here because there is a need in the church. They didn't say, brothers and sisters, we've been going into this for several months now and we see that Humphrey and George and Fred and and Nathaniel, they're good guys. And we, we, we need to recognize that in some way by finding some work for them to do and giving them a position. 
So we're going to create some positions in the church. This happened because there was a need for a job to be done. It was not done to elevate these guys into positions of fame and fortune in the church and to make them, oh, he's one of the, the seven that's been chosen. There was a need for work to be done, and they said, we need people to be available to do this. Who are the best people that we can get? And they found them. And it says, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. And I pronounce all these names like that's the right way to do it. But I have no idea. I'm just doing it confidently because you probably don't know any better. And you think, he's the man. And you'll go out and pronounce them in the same way. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then listen what happened. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The church grows because the right men are put in the right place and they're available to do it. And people are doing the things that God has called them to do. When we do that in the church community, when people step in to do what they can do in the right place and we release people into what they can do to fill needs, the church grows. When God's behind it. Most challenges in church growth are caused by the perception that some ministries, or many challenges in church growth, are caused by the perception that some ministries are more important or carry more kudos than others. And this can damage both those in the ministries if they become puffed up and those who aspire to such ministries and become jealous and begin to strive. I'm getting to the fact that a whole lot of things that we need to do in this body to make it function well. And every one of them is important. But some of the things that begin to happen is when people begin to look and say, well, I like what he's doing. I want to do that. But there's a need over there for something else. Now, I don't want to do that. That's not my preference. I want to do that. And infighting happens. And sometimes you find someone who's been serving the church brilliantly in a particular way, and they then decide that's not good enough for them anymore, and they want to step into something else. And I'm not saying it doesn't change. I'll look at that later. Ministries change all the time. But sometimes when it's driven by our needs and not by the needs of the body, you start having someone landing up in a position that's not the one that they're supposed to be in, in a place of, of, of work that's not their calling, and it leads to them being uncomfortable and the work not being done in the right way. I would urge you from, from the very beginning, if you're making yourself available to God, make yourself available to God. He knows what He can do with you. And as I read through the, the Bible, starting in the Old Testament, working my way through, God very often chooses people for specific tasks that they don't look particularly prepared for. One of my heroes, Gideon, I've spoken about him often. When God comes to him, he's a scaredy cat. Even in the New Testament, when God takes two men, you've got Peter, a rather uncouth fisherman with little patience and an inclination to speak before he thinks. And you have Paul, a highly educated scholar, well-trained in philosophy. And you have two main fields of, of ministry. Those people who are highly tuned to the tradition and culture of the Judaic way and of what God has done, the Pharisees and the people who know the law, and you have the heathens who know nothing of God. You would think you would send the scholar to the Hebrews and you'd send the fisherman to the heathens. And God says, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm just going to turn it around. 
I'm going to send Paul in there to go to the unbelievers, and I'm going to send Peter to minister to the others. God knows where he should put people. And when we begin to grow as communities of God, as the body of Christ, we need to have people step into positions because there's a need and because they're there to serve and not because we're jockeying for positions. And this is addressed in Paul's writing to the Corinthians in, in a very graphic way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read the whole passage because it's good for us to read some of the familiar passages every so often. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But the fact that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the, one body, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that parts should be equal, have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. There is no one on this earth that can be the fullness of Christ to the world that needs him. There is not one of us that can do everything that Jesus did. It has to be a team effort because the world needs all of Jesus. The world needs the fullness of the stature of Christ. We are not going to the world saying, 2,000 years ago there were people on the earth and they got the real Jesus. We are bringing you a modern, reduced version that comes in, in, in a slightly reduced capacity. And we're offering that to you. We need to take Jesus to the world. We need to bring his love. We need to bring his word. We need to bring his power. We need to bring his compassion. And no single one of us can do that. For him to be represented properly on the earth, all the parts of the body need to be fulfilling their role. And the same applies on a smaller scale here in this body of Christ, here in St. Albans this morning. Ant and Helen can't do it all. Ant can't do it all. Helen can't do it all. If you look at the two of them, you'll already see if you've been here for any length of time, they have two different sets of giftings, and they complement one another. And there's some things that Helen does that when Ant does them, not the same. And there's some things that Ant does that when Helen tries to do them, not the same. Because God has made them unique, but together they're achieving more of the purpose of God. And the rest of us each have some role to play. 
The rest of us each have some place to fit into that. The challenge comes is when I try and fit myself in rather than saying, okay, where's the place that God needs me to be right now? You know, this image of the body, if one part of the body is deciding not to do what it's called to do, it stops two things happening properly. My son can walk great distances on his hands. I don't know if that's a particularly valuable gifting. I don't know if it's got something to do with his personality. But he can, he can upend himself and he can go strolling around on his hands. And it's quite impressive. But that's not the way to walk. It's, you're not best serving travel by walking on your hands. Because while you're doing that, vast amounts of blood are running to your head and increasing your blood pressure. People can't really talk to you because you've got the wrong end aimed at them. It doesn't really function very well, even though you can do it. And when we as a body of Christ insist on walking on our hands and talking through our ears, we're not being efficient. And you know what? After a while, it'll hurt his hands. And your elbows will begin to get sore. And you won't be fulfilled because you can't think straight with all the blood that's pooling in your head. And the people trying to talk to you will lose interest and walk away. And the purpose won't be served. And it's a silly example. But we do a lot of walking on our hands in the kingdom of God. And we talk through the top of our heads sometimes. Because we aren't making ourselves available to slot neatly into the place that God has placed us to be. And if I look at this body, it's got all sorts of weird parts, some weirder than others. But when I try and do without any of those parts, it really doesn't work. Can we function with various body parts missing? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. But it's more difficult. I always, we went along to the, the 2012 Paralympics at, at the Olympic Stadium in London. And seeing what those people who have been physically disabled are able to do in wheelchairs, and, 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 and it was awe-inspiring. If you ever get a chance, I think I would probably have been more inspired, well, was more inspired by that than watching the able-bodied Olympics. It's awesome. But they have to work so much harder. And in the long run, although they are doing the best that they can, sometimes it still doesn't match. You know, before his spectacular fall from grace, Oscar Pistorius was the first um, athlete on a prosthetic to run in the able-bodied Olympics. And he didn't do as well as he did when he was running as a Paralympian. Because it's much harder to run on one leg than it is to run on two. You can do it, but it's much harder. And in the body, we need people who are ready to step into their place and ready to fill that with joy. It highlights our need for a variety of areas for service and shows that if we get our attitude wrong... We hinder both the area of ministry we could be blessing and the one where we're trying to insert ourselves. Life would be really difficult and painful walking on our eyes. There are many ways to serve the church. Some are more noticeable and some more demanding, but all need to function to make the body of Christ more effective. Roles can change as people change, and the ministry of the church needs change. Sometimes 
roles change because you grow. It's important to me that when they imported, uh, appointed Stephen and Nicanor and, and all these guys to the job, they didn't say to them, guys, okay, we've decided that we can allow you to serve on the tables here in Jerusalem, and if you do it well enough, maybe we'll make you an apostle. It was not a ladder that they were climbing. They were called and said, can you do this ministry? But sometimes it does change. Sometimes the change feels like a promotion because more people know what you're doing. But sometimes the change might seem like a demotion. I just want to look for something that I did note down. If you look at the Apostle Paul, Acts 18 verse 2, by now he's experienced pretty much everything the ministry can throw at you, and he's seen amazing things happen. And in some parts of the world, when he walks into cities, people shake. But in Acts chapter 18 and verse 2, it says, He went to a place and he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. There was a time when in the middle of Paul's ministries, he had to sew tents. The mighty man of God that had done the most amazing miracles, whose life was filled with awe and wonder that could cast out demons and raise the dead and heal the sick and take people through the middle of a, of a storm and a shipwreck and bring them safely out on the beach. And there were times that he sat and sewed tents because that was what God needed him to do at that time. Sometimes our ministries change, sometimes permanently, sometimes for a short while. If we get this right, the church grows and flourishes and becomes Christ to the world. No one person can be the fullness of Christ in the way that he touched people's lives with his love and power. No one person can be everywhere and do everything he did. But we can do it together. Listen to what Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and you can add on so many other areas of ministry, to equip his people for the work of service, and that area of service can be any of the things that we've got here and more. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We all together come to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Not one of us. Each one of us plays a part, and together we become the fullness of Christ, which the world needs to hear and to see. Ephesians 4, 14 says, And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth of love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Every supporting ligament. Ligaments are not the most sort of glamorous parts of our body. They kind of cables and strings that hold what we think are the important bits together. You, know, you don't fall in love with a girl as a young man and go back to your mother and say, I've just met the most wonderful girl. She's got amazing tendons. I've, I've never encountered tendons like this in my life. We just don't do that. But if you took her tendons away, it, it just wouldn't work. 
And this says we are bound together by the tendons, and I think we are bound together in this ministry that we have as a church, both local and universal, largely by the unseen ministries that hold together, you know, the muscles that people like to show and the features that people like to see are being held together by those ministries which sometimes are not seen but are incredibly important. And it says that we're held together by those tenants, where are we? Joined together, held by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what about us? Because I'm going to be releasing you to, to Helen's tender cares, and she's going to tell you all about this in a while. What does it mean? Um, I, I was taught a long time ago that God is in need of fat people. God loves fat people. And fat stands for faithful available and teachable what do i need to be i need to be faithful available and teachable i need to be prepared to show commitment to a responsibility if you're looking in any business to give someone a particular role you will look for someone that you can rely on if you have a crucial piece of work that needs to be done in your business and you have two candidates and one's incredibly talented in fact, they're both incredibly talented, but one is there every morning at 7.30 and leaves at 7.30 in the evening, and there's not a thing that you've given them to do that they haven't completed. And the other one is incredibly talented, but sometimes causes the most amazing slip-ups by just being lackadaisical and not being there. You're probably going to go for the faithful person. And if we take on things within the body of Christ and within the family of God, we need to be faithful in the execution of those things. We need to be available we need to be people who step forward and say, I may not be the best person, but here I am, Lord. Teach me. And that brings me to the next thing. We need to be teachable. We need to be prepared to learn new skills and do new things. Maybe if I can share some testimony. I go with the guys here to Cambodia, and I absolutely love doing that. I love going on mission trips like that and interacting with local people and being involved with teaching and encouraging and, and taking people so they can experience it and see and hopefully at some stage some of those people will be in longer term mission ministry. But it was never something that I aspired to. Never, never, never. I was quite happy. I said to myself, I'm a bit of a teacher preacher. I can lead a bit of worship. You know, I'm, I hope God's happy with that. That's what my gifting is. And someone talked me into going on a mission to India. And maybe to put that into perspective, um, on the trips we go to, we, we see some lovely places, and you'll see photographs of us eating food in nice, clean hotels and things like that. But not all the places you go to are like that. And, and I don't know if you've traveled to some parts of, of different continents where it, it gets a little bit gritty sometimes. And um, I have a constant struggle with I think what Donald Trump called germphobia. Um, I, I don't like dirty stuff. Don't like bad smells, don't like icky sticky things, don't like facilities that aren't nice and shiny and white and with someone's sign that they've checked them in the last half an hour. So when they said to me, come to India, <laughs> um, hmm, maybe, and I, and I went with a rucksack full of antibacterial wipes and, and gels and so forth. But you know, I got off the plane in Chennai on the first trip, and we drove, it was about midnight, and we drove through the city, and we drove past communities sleeping on the pavement. Little babies just lying 
on the pavement with their families, with no structure to protect them. And that's where I found out later communities that sometimes live for 20 years. And something happened in my heart, and my heart just broke for those people, and I couldn't wait to go back and go back and go back. I found that God brought something into my heart that was not natural to me and was not what I chose, and God changed part of my ministry. So don't close any doors. Be available, and let God also teach you so that you can change. And I want to say this just before I hand back to Helen. It says, and finally, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. You know, when we work together, we are going to get on each other's nerves. If I haven't annoyed you yet, I probably will. I'm so sorry. It's not my intention, but I do some things badly. And you probably do too. And if we're going to work together in close harmony <laughs> and working together, there are going to be times that you're going to go, oh, you should have done that that way. I could have done that better. But this says that we should love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve the other as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. As we work together, let's love one another. Let's pick up the thing that the other one has dropped. Let's pick each other up. Let's restore one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's grow one another. If you're very confident in what you're doing, get alongside someone who isn't and help them to step into that with the ease that you do after the many years you might have been doing it. But I want to encourage you. Come to Forest Town Church to enjoy the wonderful teaching that we get from, from Anton and Helen and, and others. Come to Forest Town Church for the worship. Come to Forest Town Church for the fellowship. Come for the food. Come for whatever reason. Come to get closer to God. Come to grow in your relationship with Him. But at some point, come to be part of the work. Come to serve. Because together, we have one overriding responsibility, and that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, to those who don't know Him, to those who have not had the joy of coming into His family and the assurance that they are going to be in heaven one day when their lives on earth end. And that's what we're about. All the stuff that we're doing is to make that possible. That's what we're doing. So if you're coming here to help do maintenance, or if you're coming here to help clean something up, in the long run, you're helping to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need Him. I don't know the story accurately, but there was a story of someone walking around talking to a bunch of men working, and he came up to one and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm chipping this piece of stone into a shape that's going to have um, even sides. And to another he went and he said, I'm, I'm hammering away at this chisel, uh, with this chisel at this piece of stone, which is going to be part of the frame of a window. And he came to another guy and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm part of a team building a cathedral. He looked further than just the job that he was doing at that moment. He was part of building something that was beautiful, going to be beautiful and very, very effective in what it did. And I'd invite you to be part of building the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. 
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you, you are all that we need. And use the, the fullness of salvation and of love and of power. Thank you that you brought that to us on earth and served us with such humility. My prayer is that you will inspire us and give us courage and help us to each play a part in continuing that work and being your body, your hands and your feet, your lips and your eyes and your ears and your heart to this world. Lord, I pray that we'll do that here at Forest Town Church as a community that loves one another and that that love will cover that multitude of sins that we might bring into each other's lives by not doing exactly what the other wants. I thank you, Lord, that here at Forest Town you'll bring your anointing and your empowering into lives to step into things that might be new. I thank you, Lord, that you'll here at Forest Town inspire us and anoint us with faithfulness to do those things that need doing every day that sometimes aren't glamorous, that are ligaments and tendons in the body. Lord, I pray that in all that we do, we'll acknowledge you as the head and that all glory will come to you. Amen.